Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark. And this is Gordon. And we love talking about baseball. Hall of Fame votes are coming in now. I think about, like, what, 25% of the ballots are in. And we're seeing some of the same annoying trends. Like, I've seen one ballot already where guy, the guy just didn't vote for anybody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and and I noticed that uh, years ago, uh, the percentage of uh, voters voting for 10 guys, right, you could vote for up yeah. to 10, uh, was as much as 50%, up until just a few years ago. Now, it's down like at 20%. Now, Last year, was 15%. I will say this. I think that's for two reasons. One, the early trends. And now, obviously, we're going to talk more about the Hall of Fame vote and in its actuality once it's complete. So we're going to kind of avoid talking about anybody right, specifically right. on their mouths. But I think the reason why you've seen a sharp decline in people getting voted in is because you have the steroid guys on the ballots. So there's a lot of guys that are just like, if it, if you were connected to it at all, I'm not going to touch you. Definitely. So that greatly increases the number of like just dead names on ballots to certain people. But there's nuance there, too. So. They, they put a testing program in in 2004, which kind of had no teeth. And then in 2006, they started with the 50 games, 100 games, yeah. full season. And so the writers that are saying, I don't, it was after, if, for those guys like A-Rod that were reputed to have done this and whatnot, after the fact, if they did it Manny and they knew that this penalty is, I'm, I'm charging them more now because there was a policy and they violated it. They got suspended and now I'm going to penalize them again because I don't like it. I don't I don't get that part. I, I don't like it because it, it's like, who? why are you, Mr. Baseball writer, the one to decide to penalize the player? Right, right. And if you think Manny Ramirez is a, is a Hall of Famer, then he's a Hall of Famer. And, and I don't I don't think you're going to say, well, be, you know, he was at least he did it when there was a testing program. We do. We have guys in there from, from before. And by the way, not even going to get into Gaylord Perry, who everybody go, oh, yeah, we all knew he threw the stip ball. But isn't that great? He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know. Anyway, um, I, I I also noticed when you get on the ballot, and 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 so this is a problem. And and I was talking to you uh, off air about the fact that I really think in, in years like this, you really should try to vote for ten. Um, and the reason is because there'll be years on the, on the where there won't be ten, not even close. You probably right. can't even come up with a few. And and if you were unlucky like Jim Edmonds to be on the ballot in your first year when you had a bevy of Hall of Famers, in fact there were ten Hall of Famers on the right. ballot. He made two and a half percent of the vote, never got back on again. Done. That that's see that's wrong. that's a, that's a problem that's with wrong. the format. And I think like the thing is is that the solution to that isn't to just vote to, to me you should only vote for guys you believe that are in the hall that should be in the hall of fame so the problem is is that guys can fall off of the like like you can have situations where jim edmonds is on the ballot with a ton of guys that should already get in and he doesn't even get a sniff but like there is guys right now on the ballot that I wouldn't vote for it just so that they can stay in the conversation because I don't. But the conversation would be they still don't go to belong in there, according to me. Yeah, you know, I, I hear that, and and I think there's also this weird bias that well, Carlos Beltran is on on the ballot for the first time. I think most people would say Carlos Beltran's a Hall of Famer eventually. Yeah, he's yeah. got his issues, we you know, with the with the whole Astros thing, but we don't want him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, so we're going to not vote for him in this year. But next year, maybe I will vote for him. I don't get that kind of approach. I really don't. No. Well, there's something because being a first ballot Hall of Famer is supposed to mean something. So I think there's people that buy into that a little bit too much. But at the same time, I think there's also just some hypocrisy from the Hall of Fame voters. Because like, like take take Bobby Abreu, right? Yeah, I, I, I love talking look, about this player. Look at his career numbers compared to Tony Gwynn's. 
okay. They're not that different. Well, and and no one, I don't think I would ever say that Bobby no. that Bobby Abreu was the equal of Tony Gwynn, but, but he was a really good ball player right. with 288 but, career homers and 400 stolen bases, and I think he, he was a, a, a plus defensive outfielder. Yeah. Uh, uh, something that Tony Gwynn maybe not was Tony Gwynn so was much. probably a better defensive outfielder than Abreu. Yeah, but so so I, he, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So to check that. I mean, well, I'm looking uh, for his career. Gwynn was negative ninety two defensive WAR. Abreu was negative one forty one. Okay. Uh, offensively, Gwynn was four hundred one WAR. Abreu was four sixteen. Uh, WAR. Yeah. Offensive. Average per season? Is that what you're saying? For total accumulated. That, 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 or their rating. That's their rating. Their rating. Right. That's not That's not yeah. a war number. That's not their war number. Um, But yeah, career average, 338 for Gwynn, 291 for Abreu. 388 on base for Gwynn, 395 for Abreu. 459 uh, slugging for Gwynn, 475 for Abreu. You know, I, I mean, look, you're spotting you know, him 40 points in career batting average. Let's no, not. But, let, but that's why you I'm can't compare I'm also spotting Tony Gwynn 150 career home runs. Right, which was not his game. But that's a, that's a, his, that's a significant game. amount of home runs. And and Abreu obviously had more stolen bases, although Gwynn also actually had twice as much more stolen. So so I think, and it's it's I'm not you're saying, saying you can talk about. It. No, what I'm saying is, why is Tony Gwynn a no doubt guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer, and Abreu to some of these guys is a guy that shouldn't even be in the conversation. I, I would say that Abreu would be a guy I would have voted right. for. Um, and I think the guy that I probably wouldn't have voted for, but I really like as a player. But here's the thing about not voting for guys. Jimmy Rollins was on the ballot for the first time this year. I don't really feel Jimmy Rollins is a is a damn, you know, right down the middle for Hall of Famer, certainly not a first ballot. 47 career war, uh, played a tough position, but overall his career stats are, are not are not such that really made me feel like he was a Hall of Fame player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I'm not sure. I'm not 100% right. sure. I might want a chance to this vote goes, for him this, at another this time. This goes back to my thing of like guys shouldn't permanently fall off because, oh, you didn't get the right number of votes this So you're saying it's part of the structure. I would agree with you there. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what I'm trying to protect is right. guys like Jim Edmonds getting, getting right, right. off the ballot so the, and never getting on so again. The solution, so the, to me, the solution is that like basically all that it should be is that it should be a certain number of years of being under that vote percentage. Because then if after two or three years, you don't get above a two or three percent vote percentage then clearly you don't belong on there but that way you avoid the one year where it's just like oh yeah sorry like there's a lot of hall of famers on this ballot there's a lot of hall of famers on this ballot <laughs> you're out of luck you're out of luck sorry oh yeah you you had the unfortunate thing of retiring in the same year that like each row and pool hosted whoops so uh ryan thibodeau uh, does the uh hall of fame vote tracker uh, and i've been following it way more closely than i should uh during this holiday period and so todd helton who we definitely feel is you know a guy who sh- should be there um looks like he's in decent shape but no one has gotten to the point where all of a sudden they got that much plus gary sheffield well there's nobody push. that's like there there's not enough it's like there's a worry that they're not gonna have a guy this year I, I, which th- that's awful which, which at that point that's off then if you're gonna then at that point that almost might be the best thing that could happen because there would be no bigger indictment of the system than that 
they, you know, their voters can make their votes public. And what Ryan Thibodeau has been doing is he's been posting the public votes of the writers. And, and I like a lot of these first time voters when I see a ballot that has 10 guys on it and it includes Manny and includes A-Rod and it includes Sheffield. And I'm thinking, OK, so you're you're just tossing all that stuff out of there. And if you want to debate Billy Wagner and Abreu and Rump, that's fine. We That's the, what we want to debate. Those the, guys the we want to debate. The idea that A-Rod shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Just really, too much. So, I, you know, we'll. we'll We'll talk more about this. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll hear sometime in the next month or so. Yeah, it'll be decided before, you know, around the time spring training probably starts, usually. But, yeah, it's um, it, it's really remarkable that, you know, guys just, you know, don't vote for that many because they think they're protecting the game. No votes. Yeah. How do you vote for nobody? It, it, it's interesting here because what we actually wanted to talk about today is about as far a cry from Hall of Fame players when you think about it. And that we were talking about this, what is the definition of like the average baseball player these days? Because this was coming out of a conversation we were having where do fans expect more like out of the average player today than they did 20, 30, 40 years ago? And if you if you told a fan like, oh, yeah, like the the seventh or eighth, you know, batter in the lineup, what kind of average do you expect him to have? I feel like today's fans would have a much different perspective on what they expect out of that guy than fans from back then did. Right. And I don't even know how far you'd have to go back to, to, to really not that far before, when you had the eight hitter, you know, who batted 215 and the pitcher batting behind him. And then in the National League, you kind of cruise, you know, through those guys and you would you would pitch to that situation. You, you remember the Pirates? They had that shortstop. I forget what his last name is. The first name was Jack. Yes. Uh, it's not Jack Hughes. Not Jack Hughes. Yeah, but you know exactly who yeah, I'm talking yeah, I about. I do. I do. I think it was like a career like 200 hitter, but he was a gold glove shortstop. So the Pirates were just like, ah, we'll, we'll live with it. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, I don't think that as much today, you know, you can do that. You have occasionally, if you have a really good team, you can carry like one lousy hitter. Except you can't. And you want to know why I say that? Because we watched that happen this year. We watched our New York Mets, who were a very good team. They had a 200 hitter line in the lineup. His name was James McCann. And Met fans spent the entire season losing their mind about having James McCann in the lineup. Like every single day, it was like, I cannot believe we have to watch James McCann hitting. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> but it was like, it was a pain point for Mets fans every day that they had a 200 hitter in the lineup. And you're thinking of Jack Wilson, by Jack the way. Jack Wilson. That, that he was the, he was the pirate shortstop. Yes. So um, yeah, what what constitutes just an average player? Uh, and and so that you asked that question, and I and it made me think about the way we used to define guys, right? You know, you'd have you know we, we let's say we have something we call he's a solid starter. Right, like solid start, and it was interesting because we kind of was talking to you about like the tiers of the players, and so obviously you have your, you know, your superstars of the world. You have like your, like to me, like there's a different a difference between the superstars and like all star level players because you can have a whole bunch of all stars, but there's only like one Otani, there's only like one Trout kind of level play, like those guys. There's only one Soto. Those neck, those super, those all stars that are better than the rest of them. I'll, I'll bring it to the Philly perspective here. I, I wrote down Bryce Harper, yeah, superstar. Pete Alonso, Met fans, all star, yeah, right. not a superstar. Even Lindor 
was more of an all-star than a superstar. I don't this I don't, year. Right. I, I I would not say he's real close to that, but there's a lot of really good shortstops right. who can do a lot of really good things. There are very few you, players you, that are doing what Bryce Harper does. Right. There's very few players doing what Soto's doing or Tani or Trout are doing. So or a, Judge. A solid starter, right? So how would we look at it in, uh, at, on the pitching staff? Let's let's look at it that way. It's like so uh, we but, the average starter, let's let if we want to do that for a second cuz I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, like what what, what what's at the baselines here? For everybody. So when we say an average starting pitcher and an average starting position player. So and we're talking about starting pitchers. So there there were 871 pitchers that pitched in the major leagues this year. And so if you go to baseball reference and you sort all of them, you'll get, you know, all the innings. There were 36 complete games for all of Major League Baseball, which is probably more than I would have expected, even. Right. That's one a team basically. What's one a team basically? 16 complete game shutouts. That surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um and and the, the 180 innings is the sort of average media. Dead on, all, all, yeah. all that. So that that's why Pablo Lopez kind of fit that, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. in three ninety six ERA. Yeah, that that sounds kind of average, right? right? That, that, and that's for all the pitchers. So remember, we're talking about relievers and starters when we do that. Right, sort. and you're also and you, this is also getting you're getting guys lumped in here that came up, pitched one game, stunk it up, and went back to the minors, never to be seen again. They get counted in this. So the average whip of all the pitchers, and this surprise, if you had to take a guess, because I don't think you looked at this. Hmm. Average whip. It's all gonna, pitchers gonna be above one. Oh, definitely. I don't think there's any no question about probably that. like a one three or one four. Yeah, one two six six, mm-hmm. um, which is actually a little lower than. Uh, I yeah, that's lower than I would expect. I, gu- when I guess I see a pitcher higher. get under one two. I feel like oh, that's a pretty good season under one well, two. I, I, I think that you would probably classify a starting pitcher who had a whip between one, you know, below one two to one zero as a solid starter. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And and you have to throw the the innings in there to be a solid. Solid starter, right? You can't pitch not that many games. You know, Jacob right. Degrom was not a solid starter this year because he just didn't pitch enough for them. Right, right, right. I think you would still classify Degrom as an all-star level pitcher because of when course. he is pitching, the effectiveness that he brings. But Pablo Lopez, I think, when you look at him, other than bringing about that three pitching war to the table, which yeah, that, that, for the Marlins is actually not so bad. But pitching war is weird. He fits the mold of an average pitcher pretty well. And then when you look at the batter side, there's actually somebody that had exactly zero war last season, and that. That was Corey Dickerson. Yeah, he had a 0.01. So I, was, I marvel at this, yeah, right? So right. What, what does that mean? That means that he was no better or worse than, the, than a replacement no, than player. A replacement <laughs> player. He hit 267 and 281 at-bats with 75 hits and six home runs. Yeah, you know what? If you gave some, if you gave a random AAA call up a full season in the majors, and that's not even a full season when you think about yeah, the that's at-bats. Like about a third of a season, about a third or, or a half, yeah. A half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, twelve home runs hit hit a little bit better than I'd expect with a two sixty seven average, but that that about fits what I'd expect from a guy that you just gave the run of a full season. And if he would have doubled his stats, right, he would have had what twelve homers. He still would have batted two sixty seven, and he would have had five hundred odd at bats, and he would have a zero point zero WAR. That, that's <laughs> very unexciting. Right, that's not very exciting. But I think that would be what I would basically, you know, and that's why I would classify somebody like if you know that's that's a that's a average player. That's like a guy on your team. You need to have eight guys in the field. He's one of those He's guys. He's one of those guys. But Nine guys. Well, generally, guys the, the superstar teams don't have anybody on their team that's like that. Right. They don't have just a guy. You're going to have your solid starters. To me, a guy like that, Mark Canna, is to me 
a prototypical solid star. And he's got a, he would have a much higher whip than a, a war. higher war than 0.0. Right. He, he probably had a very good war last season. But in terms of what he fits and brings and does for your team, you can count on him going out and playing solid defense, giving you professional at bats, and he's going to be able to do that for the whole season. And he's going to hit better than just some random guy called up from AAA that isn't a prospect. And right, I, and, right, and, right, and and let's let's be clear about war. We, but number one, on pitcher war, we still think pitcher war is a mess, particularly a in, in Baseball Reference. Fangrass does it a little differently, um, but still, it's really hard to evaluate. Canna had a two point five war for t- t- twenty twenty two. So when we said Pablo Lopez had a three point war, you you might infer that Pablo Lopez had a better season than Mark Canna. It doesn't really that, work. That, that way. doesn't really work that way. And and by the way, a player having a five war season it's, is really good. And so when you string together a bunch of five war seasons, and that's what we remember we talked um, yeah. with the uh, Dan about um, the career value index, yes, and, and stringing those five war seasons together, and Jay Jaffe does this as well in his Jaws, you know, seven years of excellence. That's what you're looking for, right? And thirty five war over five years, and those are the guys you're classifying as your all stars. Those are the guys that have because it's like you, you you can't you know one good season or one good stretch of play isn't enough to elevate you, you because we've seen tons of one season wonders. That right. that might make you an all-star in a given season, but it's not going to make you somebody that like is perceived as an all-star. So I would say that Canna is probably closer to your solid starter than Corey Dickerson, who I don't think I'd be excited right, about no, that's that, what I said. having on the team. Dickerson that, is going to be – he is your baseline. Canna is somebody who fits a solid starter role on your team. He's not like a bench warmer type of guy or a solid bench player where you're going to have these guys on your team who – probably have noticeable warts in their gameplay somewhere you know you, you look at a guy like Luis Guillorme Perfect. we're thinking the same thing right. yeah Inter- nice player nice player feels at multiple positions incredibly well gives good solid professional at great bats. guy to have on great the team guy to have on the team. all that stuff but if you had to play him every day you would notice issues that and you did and we did we saw that with the Mets when he became like a you start rely on him to hit and he doesn't have any pop he does no pop he's gonna hit you maybe he's gonna only be able to slap he's gonna give singles. you and so we, we start coming up with terms like he gives you a professional at bat right <laughs> Oh, and that's if you're if that's being said about you, it's both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> it means you're handling the bat well, and we can count on you doing the right thing in a given situation. But it also means you're probably not that good a hitter. Now, does every team have to have? I would say not every team has to have a solid bench player. Good teams have, but solid, good teams have solid bench players. Good guys team, that can come in and contribute when guys get injured the, or or matchups. just matchups or just need. Those are the teams, and these and so these guys have much less value on a bad team because. Right. You're not gonna. You know, you need guys that are gonna play well every day. Not you know, a guy that's useful when you know you need to give your starting guy a break. And baseball, you know, like like all professional sports, you know, it's it's a sport of attrition, right? So for, for Met fans, you know, you watched Travis Jankowski play probably more than you wanted to last year early in the season, and he looked pretty good early in the season. But there was and then the more you watched him play, and the more he plays, like yeah, well, you know, he's somebody that we don't really need, but he had a nice couple of weeks. Pitchers kind of naturally sort themselves into this because you just have the one through five spot in the rotation so you you describe guys already as well he's a number one starter or he's more of like a number five you know the difference between those two types of pitchers just by somebody saying that to you it even extends further because we have spot starters 
you know that if somebody's a spot starter, that's, they're probably not good enough to be a regular starting pitcher. It sounds like Trevor Williams to me. Exactly. You know, you're going to. We had a great season for the Mets last year. And I think the Mets did the right thing because it's hard to expect to get a better season than that out of Trevor Williams. And he's going to get a chance to start in Washington. Washington. Uh, well, God, you know, they need whatever they can get, and the Nationals are still a mess. Right. And he's going to get a start, be an everyday starting pitcher, whereas the Mets would have probably used him in the similar role that they used him this year. So, so you were talking in the beginning of the podcast just about how roles have changed over the years. And we didn't really talk too much to that, but I think a solid bench player and a bench warmer, right? So a bench warmer today is different than it was. You don't really carry them. Right. Bench warmers back in the day, if you will, if you go 30, 40 years ago, they didn't just didn't play. They maybe they got a, a couple of at bats a week and 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 it was okay for you just to sit there and wait for someone to get hurt was the only way you were gonna get right. to play. And like you were the team was totally okay carrying a couple guys on the team that they basically had no intention of playing. Right, right. Which today right. Is, is insane when you think you would never do that. And 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 I, I well, we're Met fans, and we focus too much on what we know, which is the Mets more than anything. But the Mets have a whole situation with Daniel Vogelback right now, who is a a guy who can't play in the field. I mean, I, I, I we all love Daniel Vogelback. He's fun to watch. He's great. To, it's it's a gas to run the guy, watch the guy run around the bases and all that because it looks like you know you know a barrel race as it's getting to third base. And you know he's a big burly guy who you know who's got some pop in his bat and has had some success as a left-handed hitter yeah. off of right-handed pitching. But he only does one thing. And in today's major league baseball, my my point is, is that he's a guy who you can't use in any other way. It seems like it's sucking up a roster stop spot. It technically, today. sucks up too. Yes, yes, because he can't hit lefties. And that's not, not, that's not me making a joke about his size. It's <laughs> it's me pointing out that because if you carry a guy like Vogelbach right. that could only bat from against one-handed type of pitcher, you then need to carry another guy on your roster that is capable of doing the, the opposite thing. And Mets tried to do that with Darren Ruff, and it and didn't, it didn't work, didn't work now, out at all. Granted, that's the kind of thing where if the platoon is working, you look like a genius. But in this case, I, I think more what's interesting, though, is just – you would carry guys on your team, both in your bullpen and on your everyday roster. That you, you expected nothing of. That you expected nothing of and had no intention of putting in the game. The Mets, I think the like the the closest they got to that was when like they had like the pinch runner guy, like they, they had Terrence Gore. Terrence Gore, yeah, right, like like who they they never intended to get more than a batter here or there, and otherwise, or he, not not had a bat at all. One. He got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And otherwise, he was just there to run. And like you don't you don't you don't carry that on your everyday roster now. Well, you might. You might now with the new uh, base running rules and the, the lack of really, pickoff throws over there. Are you really going to want to give up a roster spot for a guy that can only do that? Well, only from the standpoint of it's pretty clear from the evidence that the rules at the minor league level, at least, increase stolen base attempts by a, a dramatic amount. So I think it's, it's, we're going to see more more stolen base attempts. And the slightly bigger bases makes it six inches closer, if you will, uh, between first and second and second and, and third base. That could make a big well. difference. It, it could be. A lot of plays are bang, bang like that. So I, I, I just as an aside, I, I just wonder if Billy Hamilton and guys like Terrence Gore have actually a better chance of getting a job than now in in the circumstance and certainly late in the season when you're readying certainly your your roster the for the season. for the I playoffs think for every day you're just not gonna because unless those guys you can be consistently assured you're going to be able to use them every day in a pinch running situation then they have a lot less value 
So uh, there was also uh, the guy that, that for years was the defensive specialist replacement, you know, type player. The guy who might not play, or he comes in and in the in the seventh, eighth inning, maybe you got a center fielder, you want to give him a blow, and you you put a defensive guy if you've got a a, a lead late in the game. Um, and but you know he's not going to get a lot of at bats unless they happen to you know. And have I think extra those innings. guys are less common now any days because teams are much more adverse to playing really bad outfield, bad defending guys that you feel the need to bring somebody into the the field to replace them there's there's not there's a lot less tolerance for bad defense nowadays especially because we've seen how much it impacts your your win loss record well well you know one of the teams that that played in the world series you know had a, a few guys out there schwarber doesn't play the field you know maybe plays a little first base you know mm-hmm. uh, occasionally castellanos had a pretty awful year in the field i think he's probably a better fielder than he played he just had a particularly bad year yeah but they can overcome his he's a guy that you do sub out for late in games but maybe not in game 41 exactly maybe in game you 140 might, you might do that in the in game 140 of the playoffs but you're not going to do it in the middle of the regular season so you're not going to carry that guy as like more you know as often so i i think the middle of the order guy that hasn't changed too much those are your standard all-stars right so the Three, four, five, you can flip guys around. One thing that I think has changed, and we've seen it, right? We saw leadoff hitters this year in Otani. Mm-hmm. We saw Aaron Judge. We saw Kyle Schwarber. We're seeing non-traditional body types, certainly. I mean, it's Otani it's, can it's run about getting too, your best hitter more the most bats. number of at-bats. Right, right. So you're like, look, sure, I'd love to have a really fast guy, but I'm barely stealing as it is anyway. So why do I care how fast my leadoff guy is? I'd rather make sure the guy that could hit a you know, a home run gets another at bat. But wouldn't that change the function of your three hitter to a degree who formerly was there to hopefully drive in the, the guys at Not the, really. the lineup? He's still there to do the same thing. Right, right. But he's going to get more at bats than the number five guy because he's just batting that right. much higher in the order. So you'd still want your better hitter. You still want your best hitters as close to the top of the lineup as possible. So your leadoff hitters have changed and you have you have a, a, a real, you know, a, a, a choice at the leadoff spot, right? You could have a guy like Nimmo who has, for the Mets, who uh, got a big contract for the, for the Mets, um, doesn't steal bases, like, at all. I think he had, you know, one or less two. than 10, yeah. you know, certainly, on less than five. Um, but can run from first to third, he says, really well, and he thinks he can get from first to third faster than most, which is why he says he doesn't steal bases. I don't get that, and that's going to have to change, I think, you know, with the new bases and the, yeah. and the new rules. And that sounds like a bit of coping. Ha- having a leadoff hitter who doesn't, but his on-base average is so good that, you know, if you're the Mets, it's really nice to look over there and see that this guy's on first base again in the first inning. All that's really the, yeah. annoying to and the that's, other team. That's, that's much more value being on base you know you can't seal bases without being on base right right you can't steal first they used to say in the in the yep. old days um so has the ideal two or three hitter changed at all you used to have the two hitter was a guy who could slap the ball the other way and drive that guy who got on in the leadoff spot to third base from second or he'd bun him over and back in the day I think, when the second guy used now, to bunt. i think now teams just you just you're you want like, a guy who can rake you want a guy that can rake <laughs> yeah, i think you're right it doesn't uh, that's how it's changed it's just like yeah give me a 330 home run guy in every single spot i'm not bunning my darn two hitter no, not, no way. way why am i giving up my two hitter exactly. i want him swinging the bat and trying to put the ball over the fence so here's another expression i remember that you know he's a professional hitter well it was like we were talking about professional at bats right so a professional hitter so when i was young um i would think of a guy like bill madlock we talked about yeah. Bill Madlock, who won four national league batting titles mad dog was a 
a professional hitter. And that pretty much says he had a steel glove and you didn't really want to talk about his defense at all. And he couldn't run and he wasn't a power hitter. Well, that, <laughs> that's what it right. right. And I think, I think, I think those types of hitters have become greatly devalued. Like I, you know, we were talking about him earlier with Tony Gwynn. I really wonder what people would look at Tony Gwynn today. If you had a player like him, he would still average a three thirty. He would still be really valued. But I'm saying, would he be treated the same way? Because people would look at him and say what they said about Ichiro. It's just a bunch of singles. Yeah, well, at the time they both played, and, and Gwyn before Ichiro to, to a large part of his career, they ran well, though. They were, they had speed as part of their game. Ichiro, stolen bases, and Gwyn, surprisingly, you know, stolen bases uh, were, were part of his game. And so I, I think because he did that, and uh, it made him a little more valuable than a guy who doesn't steal bases and just bats 330. Can you, ha- can you hit a soft 338 for your career? Is that possible? I mean, Luis Guillermo is trying to show that. Well, Nakio Arias of the uh, of the Twins, I think, is that kind of a player as well. Um, so, I, I, Wait, I who on the Twins? Arias, Luis Arias. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, I, I think he's a, a good example of that. So, Michael Brantley came to my mind as, I mean, and he's a, a guy now in his mid-30s who I think just got an, uh, another deal with the Astros. I think he went back for a year at the Astros. I'm not mm-hmm. 100% sure. I think that's what it is. So, he was a guy, always gives you a good at bat. Always, a guy, He's never going to hit 260, right? He probably, he could hit 320. And all that stuff isn't going to hit a lot of home runs, right? There's a decent outfielder, not a great outfielder. He's just a professional hitter who'll give you a professional at bat. So his value is less in today's because you used to look at the average and say, if you got a 290, you know, 300, we're talking about Bobby Abreu as a potential Hall of Famer right. with a 289 average. So that's exactly, and today I think it's harder to do that because you have to have other aspects of your game, as Abreu did, you know, to exactly. be, to, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, I think, I think it just gets harder, We ex- which goes back to what this whole thing was about. We just expect more from our players nowadays, right? Right. So when when again going back to when I was a kid, so you you the term you you pitch, so you remember being called a mop up guy, right? Okay, cool. Um, I I don't really think there are mop up. There are no mop up guys anymore in the major leagues. Why would you have a guy whose only job it is to come in after a mop movie? up somebody else's mess? Is what right. the uh, you know uh, what, what Why the you have, illusion so, is? So what's your role in the team? Oh, I come in and pitch when the other guys aren't doing well. What if they're not? You know, what if they're doing good? Well, then I just don't pitch. Your long man's, uh, your long men now, right? His, long, one guy is, is one, or, or or if it's two, um, and, and and you talk about it like the Mets had Trevor Williams this year. I think they even tried to use David Peterson in that role. Now, yeah. David Peterson is a good major league pitcher. He's not a great. He is far from being a mop up guy, right? Even there's if a, they're using him that way sometimes. Mop up guy. <laughs> there's a bit of a pejorative nature to the term mop. Oh, absolutely, guy. absolutely. So, and, and or or being a middle innings guy. Oh, that means he can't handle the high leverage situation. So we're just going to pitch him in the you know in the fifth and the sixth innings. But now that's not true. You actually have guys whose specialty is pitching in the sixth inning. You know, and they they can really throw that. The Astros have like twenty nine guys who can come out there and pitch in the sixth inning and ask the Phillies about that and do that. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know that you graduate if you're a middle innings pitcher and you get to be a good one, then you can get graduate and become a setup man or even a closer. Well, that, that's after setup man. Then you're the setup guy. You know, you're the guy that you're going to use in the higher leverage situations. We get you. We're the person we use to get the ball to the really good. Right, right. And 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 closers. It's changed, and and it's it's about high time it has right. So that now managers are much more. Uh, prone to putting in their closer in the seventh or eighth in inning the if the situation demands the it, and and I'll I'll take the end of the game as it were and not worry about. Right, it. That's it, a nice change. It makes sense because if you know you got the best hitters on the team coming up in the eighth inning, why wouldn't you use your best pitcher against them? When when just getting like lots of saves because we have guys in the Hall of Fame on the basis of lots of saves who weren't necessarily 
fantastically great pitchers, but have an eye-popping stat that makes you think they were better than they are. Mm-hmm. And then I could probably come up with a guy named Lee Smith pretty easily and say, you know, Lee Smith was a was a really good pitcher. I always question, wow, was he that dominant? He did have all those saves. Now, in retrospect, when you look back on it, he actually doesn't look as good as he did when he went in. Hmm. So um, and and by the way, and this is just an aside. We had a, we had one of our listeners, and I and I should remember the uh, the listener's name. Uh, it might have been Ian who who uh, wrote in and said well, you guys should do um, uh, a show on the guys you would kick out of the Hall of Fame. Ah. so we've no, we've never done a reductive show, right? We, you know, we've but always I, try to avoid it. I, I think we could probably come up with here if we had to take ten. You held uh, a gun to our head and made <laughs> us take out people. You know, and there's a couple of guys we've talked about on the podcast before that you know would fit that criteria. Um, so I, I think um, there's a few interesting things that came out of this this year's uh, you know, stats, uh, and I and I pointed out to you um, on the pitching side, Hanser Alberto finished ten games for the, for the Orioles this year, uh, and he had eleven innings pitched. He plays second base, by the way. So the Orioles went eight and two in games that he pitched, which means that he was involved in more games won than Walker Bueller. And I think Albert ended up on the Dodgers, actually. Yeah. Which is, is, is that just like I think that's more a of a bad sign stuff. for the Orioles yes. that this guy pitched in like ten I, different I, games. I, I think he was on the Orioles. I don't know if he ended up on the Dodgers or where he crossed over this year, but he did pitch it in that many games. The other really interesting stat, and and you gotta open your eyes when I said this to you yesterday. So opposite field home runs. I don't know where I found this. So so in ni- two thousand and nineteen. Um, and it, it was 1,087 opposite field home runs. That's a lot of opposite field home runs, but I guess I don't. And in 162 games, uh, that for sound. all those for all those for all the teams for all the teams, for all the yeah. teams, there's a thousand. There's a thousand. Okay, so that dropped down in, in 2021 to 806. Well, that's a pretty big drop. Yeah. Um, and then this year it dropped down to 605 in 2022. So now you're tracking at a little over half of what it was only three years ago. Um, I, I'm blown, because you can't count the 2020 season, obviously. Right. So that that's remarkable to me. It and just, we talk about how, you know, home runs have, you know... It just had, shows how much the game has become a dead pull game. Nobody's trying to hit the ball that way, the other way. So, and, and, and I think the, you know, the overall trend this year was that averages were down. This is why they've made some of these changes, you know, to try to get a little more offense in the game. But it's pretty much cyclic. So what, what I also noticed was that the, uh, the amount of games that you, you have where the guys get uh, strikeouts, average strikeouts are like 8.9 That's a lot. per nine innings, you know, for all the pitchers. So a guy who's got, a, a you know, one strikeout per inning thing, that's really not that – that's kind of average. Now, there's, there's guys that have more than that that skew that average, but we tend to think you know, that Striking that is – Striking out guys is really hard. Such an amazing and, – and what I also notice is that the errors per game have come down over the past – That's what I was to, saying. To half it, a run a game where it was before it was 0.8, right. 0.9. And that's what I was saying, that teams – you don't see as many defensive replacements because teams are much more averse now to playing bad defenders on a regular basis. Right, right. So I, I, I think that the game the game changes in subtle ways, and, and you have to understand that, you know, the way we nostalgically look back on it and think this is what they were, this is what they called, is exactly that. It's what they were. Yeah. It's not where the game is going now. And, and I think overall, we've got a better game. And too often people like to say that the game isn't as good, there's not as much attention to detail, guys can't do this, they can't do that, they can't lay down a bunt, they can't do, but the game is being played the way that, you know, if, if bunting by, was something that would benefit a team's chance 
chance to win. Do you, don't you think the analytics would have flushed that out at this point in time and we would know? Yeah. And what the would managers they bunt? Let's put it this way. The re- why want to know why we had to bunt so much is because half the guys in the lineup couldn't hit. <laughs> That's true. It's like, yeah, you're going to bun a lot more when you've got a guy in your eight and nine hole hitting like 180. Well, nowadays, you have a guy hitting 180 in your lineup for more than like a week, your fan base revolts. So you're going to have only good hitters in the lineup. Why but are you going to make them give themselves up? Teams do that, by the way. And, you know, the Mets who just, you know, jettisoned uh, James McCann, who hit a snappy 192 last year, they picked up uh, Omar Narvaez, who I think he hit 218. So I, I guess that's, you know, uh, a positive. He hey, had more better. hard hit balls. But, you know, we tolerate guys particularly at that kind of a position and once the robo we talked about this once the robo umpires come in and you can't steal strikes anymore i really wonder what's going to happen to catchers because you're going to take away a real part of what makes catchers important it's going to be about your ability to throw those guys out stealing and you're about your ability to hit so um yeah i think i think the traditional you know the, the nostalgic way we look at things it, it has changed if you haven't been paying attention um and we're all for that i think yeah. you know, more than anything else thanks for listening subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and you can follow us on twitter at almost Google.